Welcome to the Climate Report on Forward Radio, WFMP 106.5 FM, Louisville. This is Hart Hagen, your host, and we are on episode number 205. Today's topic is Bernie's Green New Deal, Part 7. This program is part of WFMP's public affairs educational programming. The views expressed are those of the speaker and not the station. If you have any comments, questions, or feedback, please email info at theclimatereport.net. And if you would like help in finding more of this content, then email info at theclimatereport.net. So, we're in Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. So, the Green New Deal is something that dates back a few years. The original Green New Deal was the Green Party, which came out with a Green New Deal in 2008, I believe. Also, the Democratic Socialists of America have promulgated principles that should guide any Green New Deal. Also, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, as soon as she got into office in 2019... Early in 2019, she put forth her Green New Deal proposal. Also notable is the Off Fossil Fuels Act of Tulsi Gabbard, which is along the same lines, which is a just and equitable transition to renewable energy and also regenerative agriculture, you know, smart local, regional, or agriculture. But this, so this is Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. So item number 13 in my handy-dandy numbered Green New Deal is, as, as President Bernie will do these things, items A through F have been covered previously, as President Bernie will transform our energy system away from fossil fuels to 100% energy efficiency and sustainable energy by 2030 at the latest, Item B is, as President Bernie will build enough renewable energy generation capacity for the nation's growing needs. Item C is, we will end greed in our energy system. Item D is that we will build a modern smart grid. Item E, we will weatherize homes and businesses to perform energy efficiency upgrades to make buildings more energy efficient and lower energy bills. Item F is we will electrify homes and businesses. And now we get to item G, phase out the use of non-sustainable sources. So what this paragraph is about is mainly nuclear. Let's read it and then comment on it. This plan will stop the building of new nuclear power plants and find a real solution to our existing nuclear waste problem. It will also enact a moratorium on nuclear power plant license renewals in the United States to protect surrounding communities. We know that the toxic waste byproducts of nuclear plants are not worth the risks of the technology's benefit, especially in light of lessons learned from the Fukushima meltdown and the Chernobyl disaster. To get to our goal of 100% sustainable energy, we will not rely on any false solutions like nuclear, geoengineering, carbon capture and sequestration, or trash incinerators. 
So the main topic here is nuclear, whether we should use nuclear energy as part of decarbonization. Because the thing about nuclear is nuclear does not generate carbon. Whereas coal power plants generate carbon, nuclear power plants do not generate carbon. So some people think nuclear is an attractive option for decarbonizing the economy. One of the people who thinks this is George Monbiot, who is a, a delightful guy and also a respected environmental journalist. So George is kind of like freaking out over the need to decarbonize, and he's saying, look, I know nuclear is not perfect, but it is a way to move forward. And other people are like me are saying, look, nuclear is too problematic. If we think we have to resort to nuclear to decarbonize, then we're not dealing with, you know, we have other problems the only way nuclear makes sense is in a situation that is painfully incremental. And if we have a painfully incremental situation, then we're not going to survive anyway. By incremental, I mean people who buy into solutions or propose solutions that are ever so gradual. Martin Luther King said, This is no time to engage in the luxury of cooling off or to take the tranquilizing drug of gradualism. I love that. Gradualism, same thing as incrementalism. Just, oh, we're going to do this ever so gradually to the point where it never gets done. People that want to do gradualism and incrementalism just aren't serious about real solutions. So if nuclear power is part of any serious proposal for um, decarbonization, then we're in trouble because it's not a serious proposal. Next item, item H, as President Bernie will regulate all dangerous greenhouse gases. So I don't spend a lot of this, a lot of time on this program bashing Trump because I think Trump is just a symptom. And when people bash Trump, it's like, I'm against Trump. It's like saying, I'm for motherhood, and I'm for apple pie. It says absolutely nothing about anything. Yes, Trump is a piece of work, but Trump is a symptom of a corrupt system. And the reason we have Trump is because Democrats could not produce anything better than a corporatist warmonger like Hillary Clinton. Having said that, it is worthy sometimes to point out some of the stupid things that Trump has done, including uh, you know, so many environmental rollbacks, uh, including, okay, uh, fracking companies and oil companies don't have to report the release of methane, which is just stupid. I mean, deregulation is stupid. Uh, we're told that we're told to make, that we have to make a false choice between the environment and jobs. That if we let off of environmental regulations, that will, you know, we don't live in a perfect world, so let's deregulate, let's 
you know, let the oil companies and the gas companies do what they want to do. And it's not a perfect world. And we're going to breathe some fumes. But we have to do that so we can, America can be strong and we can have a dynamic economy. Well, that's just dumb to release methane into the atmosphere because methane is many times more powerful as a greenhouse gas than carbon dioxide. You would think that the oil companies would at least have to report known instances of the release of methane, but no. So Bernie is saying that as president, he will regulate all dangerous greenhouse gases. Carbon dioxide is a very dangerous greenhouse gas, but it is not the only one we must address. Methane is 86 times more powerful than carbon dioxide at trapping heat in the atmosphere, and hydrofluorocarbons, HFCs, can be more than a thousand times more powerful. In order to ensure that we reach our carbon pollution emissions goals, the EPA will, under the Clean Air Act, regulate carbon dioxide, methane, and hydrofluorocarbons. By aggressively enforcing our laws, we will end the injustice of 100,000 Americans dying every year from air pollution. In other words, regulation makes sense. And what does not make sense is to allow businesses to pollute endlessly and not be accountable for that. There's a principle in our law called polluter pays. And polluter pays, you might say, is more observed in the more honored in the breach than in the observance. We are allowing oil companies and car companies uh, to make, and fracking companies to make a lot of money off of what they do at public expense. Polluter should pay. Polluter should pay in the form of taxes. Polluter should pay in the form of lawsuits. Polluter should pay in the form of sensible, reasonable regulations. And please remember that we do not have to choose between between environment and economy. We do not have to choose between a clean environment or jobs. We can have both. Regulation actually creates jobs. Regulation is sometimes bad for profits, but good for jobs, because regulation requires regulators, or it requires government regulators, and it also requires that businesses employ people who can help with compliance of the regulations. This includes lawyers, this includes engineers, this includes staff, clerical staff, people who can keep track of things so that the businesses can show that they are in compliance with reasonable regulations. This creates jobs, it just burdens profits. Quite often in the political rhetoric, you will have these supposedly pro-business people saying we have, in so many words, we have to choose between jobs and the environment, but we don't. Item I. As president, Bernie will declare a climate emergency. 
there is a climate emergency which demands massive-scale mobilization to halt, reverse, and address its consequences and causes. Bernie will declare a national emergency on climate change and take immediate large-scale action to reverse its effects. This is an existential threat, and we will do whatever it takes to confront it. So we need a climate emergency resolution. We need to declare a climate emergency. Even local and state governments need to declare a climate emergency and act accordingly. Declaring a climate emergency is like step one of the 12 steps of Alcoholics Anonymous. You have, step one is admitting that there's a problem. If you don't admit that there's a problem, then you're not going to do anything to work toward a solution of the problem. But if you admit that there's a problem, then at least you have taken that first step and then you can go from there. So let's talk about transportation. Item 14 in my handy dandy numbered version of Bernie's Green New Deal. Item 14 is transportation. So I love to talk about transportation. So let's talk about transportation. For one thing, transportation is a way for us to visualize the whole new world that we can have because we can create a whole new world and it doesn't take a lot of delayed gratification because the powers that be want us to think that there's all this sacrifice. If we give up our cars, we are giving up our freedom. And that is the biggest bunch of nonsense. Of course, they don't say it that way, but whenever you have people in subtle ways resisting change, partly by not telling us the gravity of the problem, not telling us solutions that we could implement. But whenever you have people resisting change, then in so one of the ways that they resist change is by trying to convince us that change is more trouble than it's worth, and change is for loonies, change is for crackpots, change is for only for those that are on the lunatic fringe. By contrast, some of us think that we can create a whole new world. We should create a whole new world. And if we are to survive, we will create a whole new world starting yesterday. It's going to take putting on our thinking caps, but we should want to do that because it's fun to implement an exciting solution, and it will lead to abundance for everyone starting immediately. It is said that there are no win-win revolutions. Somebody is going to lose. And that's true. There are no win-win revolutions. And in this revolution, somebody is going to lose. But here's what I say. I say the only people that are going to lose are those that are hopelessly obsessed with greed and power. If you're pathologically obsessed 
with money and power, then yeah, you're going to have to give up something. But I don't have a lot of sympathy for those who are obsessed with greed and power at the expense of others. Because those who are obsessed with money and power and are willing to relentlessly pursue money and power at the expense of others should be treated like any other criminal. Because these people are criminals. Take David Koch, who died recently. Here is somebody who is willing to put, to knowingly, knowingly, put the entire planet at risk of ecological devastation so that he and his kind can acquire more money and more power, even more money and even more power than they already have. Here's somebody who is willing to stand in the way of uh, transit systems. Nashville wanted to implement a transit system. The mayor was for it. The people were for it. The business community was for it. And the Koch brothers got busy with their uh, phony think tank and, and phony grassroots organization called Americans for Progress and sunk the deal by playing upon people's fears and playing upon people's false notion of what freedom looks like. And all of this so that a few people can have even more money and even more power than they already have and are in the process of acquiring more money and more power, they're willing to put the entire species at risk, knowingly. That is sick, that is pathological, and it's not just two Koch brothers, it's the entire power structure of the fossil fuel industry we need to change the state of affairs that gives them so much power that they have the power to cause worldwide ecological devastation and put our entire species at risk. So let's talk about transportation. We can and must transform our transportation sector away from fossil fuels to create a sustainable future for all and good-paying union jobs right here in America. Transportation currently accounts for 29% of domestic emissions. We will create domestic energy alternatives to power our cars and trucks and move our transportation sector beyond oil by running our cars and trucks on renewable sources. We will build affordable, reliable, quick, and efficient public transportation and high-speed passenger and cargo rail. We will create millions of good-paying, unionized jobs building the automobile fleet of the future. So here's a common theme that you will hear while we are talking about transportation in the course of talking about Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal. So when it comes to transportation, the question is whether electric cars will be a minor feature and electric trains will be a major feature, or 
whether electric trains will be a minor feature and electric cars will be a major feature. As I read Bernie Sanders' Green New Deal, electric cars seem to be a major feature and electric trains seem to be a minor feature. I think that should be reversed. I think electric trains should be a major feature, and yes, we're going to have to have some electric cars, but just replacing re- replacing internal combustion engine cars, replacing gas-powered cars with electric cars, I don't think is a comprehensive or long-term solution. I think you know cars, for one thing, represent a huge hit to the family budget, about $10,000 per year, and electric cars might be less expensive, but we don't just need to take gas-powered cars and replace them with electric cars. That would be a good thing if we could snap our fingers and do that without any cost and without any opportunity cost, but it does have a cost. Switching to electric cars has a cost. And it has an opportunity cost. If we were to put too much resources into electric cars and not enough resources into electric trains, well, that's not good. For one thing, you know, electric cars or cars of any type are a hit to the family budget. For another thing, cars are less safe than trains. We all know somebody who has died in a car accident. Some of us have family members who have died in car accidents because we have too damn many cars and we need to replace them with trains. The third thing, uh, third downside of cars is that you don't have your hands free or your eyes free. It's a waste of time and you might not feel that way. Driving might be the highlight of your day, but are we going to give people a choice? Most people would choose to not have a one-hour commute every day. The average round-trip commute for people is an hour a day. And that adds up. That's, that's time that's not yours. That's time that, that you don't have. You know, why is texting and driving a problem? Because people would rather not be driving. They would rather just be able to text. They would rather, you know, so they take time away from, they, they take their attention away from driving and they're texting. And that would not be an issue except for the fact that we have this system imposed upon us whereby we've had automobiles imposed upon us. Because the oil companies and the auto companies decided that they could make money if people if if they don't have you know oil companies and auto companies don't want trains they don't want trolleys they don't want buses and they're going to impose that they have used unfair practices and they have used undue influence on our government to make themselves more profitable at the expense of the public. So we need to get away from cars, at least have a a more moderate number of cars, and that's true whether the cars are electric or gas-powered. So it does say here in this paragraph, we will build affordable, reliable, quick, and efficient public transportation and high-speed passenger and cargo rail. So, you know, that's good. 
So think about all the trucks, all the trucking, and you've got people, you know, you got trucks going down the highway. How much of that could be transported via rail? For another thing, you know, another thing that Bernie doesn't talk about enough, and Tulsi Gabbard doesn't talk about enough in her off fossil fuels act is the need to reduce the transport of goods because a lot of the goods being transported are just it's waste it you know we don't need an economy that is is driven by the sale of stuff we need to have an economy that is more driven by the sale of experiences you know think about what a thriving local economy we could have if we weren't competing with out-of-town businesses for in the in the realm of music and culture and dance and restaurants think about thriving local restaurants because they're not having to compete with national retailers think about thriving local organic farms because they're not having to compete with agribusiness or with uh, and think about thriving local groceries and how, how all that would feed upon each other, the restaurants and the farms and the cooperatively owned groceries would all thrive upon one another. And it would make every little town potentially could be a tourist destination. It would make every town unique. Imagine how what a thriving music scene we could have if we weren't artificially competing with digital music. Nothing wrong with digital music, but in moderation. We need to have, so, you know, uh, you know, and you know, the tech companies need to be broken up. Uh, YouTube, Facebook, all of them need to be broken up because they have too much power and they have too much ability to entice people into consuming their digital products instead of getting out into their own community. So local communities need to be able to compete with national you know, local communities, for one thing, need to be able to just say no to national retailers if they choose to. Communities should have some power to determine what kind of local economy are they going to have. We need to have community-based economics, which is the economics that a community chooses is based on the needs of the community instead of always being based on the needs of the national and multinational chains that don't care about the community. They just want to come in and suck out all the money from the community and not be, uh, um, and not, uh, not have a meaningful contribution to the local economy. So, common theme here is we need to rethink everything. So, what got me off on that tangent? It's the idea that we have an economy that is based on peddling stuff. I mean, look at a TV, and they're just selling you stuff, selling you stuff, selling you stuff. It doesn't have to be that way. It tends to really 
deaden our minds and it tends to propagandize us. It shapes what we value and if we had a choice, we would do things differently. So as we fashion the Green New Deal, as we push for a clean, renewable world, a clean, renewable energy system and transportation system, let's rethink everything and let's really pay attention to how much we have been commercialized and propagandized in a way that's actually bad for the economy. You know, all this activity is supposed to be good for the economy, but much of it is not good for the economy. That's about all we have time for. We're going to pick up next time where we left off. And uh, email info at theclimatereport.net. If you have any questions, comments, or observations, have a great day.